catches me off guard. I mean, yesterday, yeah. yesterday it was fine, but today it's yeah. terrible. It's like, what? So anyway. Welcome to Rosie on Recruitment, a podcast on recruitment, career, and more. I'm your host, Rosie Nathan, partner and senior sourcing specialist at Customized Talent Group, chief commercial officer at Her Career, chartered manager, and mentor. I'm here with my featured guests, ranging from executives to graduates and candidates to hiring managers, to provide you with valuable insights and tips to help you get the most out of recruitment, whatever side you're on. this episode, I'm joined by Mark Donovan, a specialist in employment law and civil litigation. Mark commenced practice as a barrister in Auckland in 2009 after practicing as a senior solicitor at leading national law firm Butterfinlay. Committed to providing excellent service and practical results, Mark gives clear advice to assist in the prevention and resolution of employment-related and other civil disputes. As a graduate of the University of Auckland with bachelor degrees in arts and law with honours, Mark has presented seminars to clients and interest groups on employment-related legal issues. He's also written articles for the Employment Law Bulletin and the National Business Review. Given his expertise, I'm excited to be able to share his insights with you. In this episode, we dive into the unusual way he ended up in employment law and civil litigation, whether the reality of working in law matched what he thought it would be when he left uni, why he left a big firm to do his own thing, tips to employees on how to face disestablishment, what he loves about his work, what you should be thinking about when considering an employment offer, and much more. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome Mark to the Rosie on Recruitment and Career podcast. So Mark, can you tell us a bit about your first recruitment experience and how things have changed for you? Yeah, sure. Well, my first recruitment experience was the experience of being hired through the law firm hiring process, which has a fairly unique process, I gather, in that as you're coming to the end of your degree at university, the various law firms are vying for candidates to join them. And so you end up kind of being hunted down in a way, or wooed at least. You know, you put in your application for a bunch of law firms and you cross your fingers and hope that you might get an offer or at least an interview. And I was fortunate enough to get a number of interviews and got at least more than one offer. And so that was a pretty somewhat surreal experience, to be fair, because although I'd worked in other jobs in their student days, student type jobs, this was your first kind of real proper job. And I had no real taste of what that was going to look like. And to have people kind of woo you and dine you and invite you to drinks and, and try and basically sell themselves to you you're kind of like, I don't understand this, but this is great. Uh, so um, I will ask no questions. Exactly, exactly. And I guess being in the fortunate position to have more than one offer, I had to decide, okay, well, how am I going to decide between these firms? And it really came down to a matter of culture. I had to try to gather, okay, from the interview, from what others said of those firms, what would be the best fit for me in terms of culture, in terms of where I felt I would fit and work and enjoy the, the time that you're going to spend day in, day out with these people? Where did I think I'd best fit? For me, that was Buttle Finlay in Auckland, and I really enjoyed my time there. So it was a great move. It's great having that early understanding of choice, but also where am I going to thrive? What values align best with who I am and where I want to go in my career? Yeah. Speaking to that, what made you want to become a specialist in employment law and civil litigation? 
Yeah, well, that's also a funny question in a sense, an unusual thing that happened for me, I guess, is that I never really wanted to be an employment lawyer. I didn't want to be a litigation specialist. Actually, when I was in my early days of my legal career, I thought the lawyers who were in the litigation department were a bit crazy. They seemed kind of <laughs> a bit eccentric and they seemed to work quite long hours and really get stuck into what they were doing and in their own little world. And I, I just thought, I don't want to be part of that. It's weird. I was quite happy with the idea of just pushing some paper, you know, doing some challenging things, but yeah. not at the forefront of having to go to court and go to battle and, and yeah. all that comes with that. I had was on a track and in your first year at a law firm uh, like Butter Finlay, I was on a rotation. So I'd have a rotation through two two areas of the, of the firm to get a taste, I suppose, of what it's like mm. to work in these firms or in these areas of law that maybe you haven't experienced before. And for me, the first rotation was in IP, so intellectual property law, which I really enjoyed. And I thought that was where I was going to stay. And my next rotation was going to be in banking. So both kind of areas where you're, you're dealing with non-contentious stuff for most of the time, you're dealing with moving paper around, I suppose, that's kind of the focus. And I got a call one day, almost towards the end of my first rotation, from the HR lady who said, hey, look, sorry, the person who is in banking at the moment, she really wants to stay in banking, so she doesn't want to rotate out of there. Yeah. And the banking team are quite happy for her to do that. And so that means there's no slot for you in banking. But we have a slot for you in the litigation department in the employment law team. <laughs> and like, perfect. Perfect. And I thought... <laughs> You know, what she's really saying to me is, you're going to the employment law team. You know, she wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'll just go for this ride. For me, I got my worst mark in employment law at university, right? So it yeah. wasn't like it was something that was on my radar as something I wanted to try and do. But yeah. when I got into the team, I worked with some really great people, got some really good opportunities first up, oh, and great. I was really just thrown into it. I guess the opportunity to really test myself and grow really quickly and deal with clients face-to-face -face in a way that I wouldn't have had the opportunity in other teams to do was really cool, and I really enjoyed it. And I, I enjoyed the human aspect of employment law in particular because you're dealing with people's lives, you know, the impact that it has on them from day to day. That's how I ended up in it, and I haven't moved from it since, and it's been 15 or 16 years later, I think, something like that, or <laughs> Anyway. It's amazing. Chosen pivots versus forced pivots within a career. And we had Tiana Epate, the president of the NZ Law Society, on our Her Career podcast. Her father was also a lawyer and was trying to dissuade her from becoming one, but spoke very impassionately about how important that role is. You talked about going to battle for people and, you know, this is a time, particularly civil litigation, where there are some pretty important life matters at date. Mm. How do you deal with that? How have you found that ride? Because it would have been quite, I don't know, if confronting the right word or at least huge amount of responsibility walking into that area. I think I was fortunate to learn from some really good people. And I think the benefit of working in a firm is that you see how different people deal with that stuff. Right. And yeah. so you end up picking the best parts, what things you really enjoy or admire about different people and the way that they work. And you then kind of make your own mix of that stuff. And you take that with whatever you bring to it as well. Mm. So I suppose that is the benefit of working in a team, working in that kind mm. of corporate environment where you do have that exposure to the way different people operate. And for me, that was just invaluable. And I look back 
back on it and think, oh yeah, I do certain things in the way that I operate. And I think, oh yeah, I got that from that person in the way that they did it. And I've sort of absorbed it unthinkingly in a way, but it's become something that you do. And so I, yeah, I, I really value that. And I, I had some people who were mentor type people in my life in that in those spaces and had various parts of my time there who really just gave me the opportunity and the nudges and the direction that was just what I needed. So I guess that's the stuff you look back on in retrospect and say, hey, that's how I got through that. And that's what's been so valuable about it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why having a great team is so important because we are learning by osmosis subconsciously. So how we carry forward is a great culmination of those people we're exposed to. This is a question probably for the graduates that will be interested in understanding what you've gone through in your career. Did you find the legal profession has matched the expectations you had from law school? Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, Rosie, no. And I'll be interested to know what whether other people in other professions feel the same way. But certainly in yeah. law school, you know, you're taught to think through legal problems and read cases. And it's all quite academic in a sense. I mean, you do some client negotiation and client interviewing and that kind of preparation. But until you actually are sitting down at a desk and you've got a person's problem on your plate and it's a real life thing and yeah. you feel the urgency of it and the weight of it that's just different it's something that you can't I guess prepare yourself for until you actually just got in the thick of it and gone okay this is how we're going to deal with this situation and even just basic stuff like how do you write a letter I mean I remember my first days right. sitting down with a dictaphone because I'd never used a dictaphone before and they were training you how to use a dictaphone we had an open plan office so you couldn't see people, but they could hear you because we had these yeah. high partitions. But, you know, I was quietly trying to dictaphone away because I was quite embarrassed that I didn't quite know how to start this letter, you know. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I realized, oh, actually, at law school, they never taught you how to write a letter. Like, how do you start that? And how do you correspond with people? What's the appropriate things to say? That's where those skills and those, like, is it soft skills, I suppose, are things that you just have to learn on the job. So long as you've got a supportive team around you and a good group of people that, you know, you can go to and learn from, you're going to be fine. But it is something that is a bit of a shock. And I think from law school, turning up to a workplace every day, with the same people, oh, 8.30 to 6 or whatever it was, that was also a shock because it's like, what? I have to see you every day? You know, <laughs> I can't just stay home and skip a lecture, you know? So all of that, you know, real world stuff, Yeah. I guess you're never quite prepared for. But having a supportive firm environment was fantastic to get you through that. I've really valued that time. Yeah. I think that's a magnificent example because something like writing a letter from a university perspective, they might think, no, you know, we need to get these really technical skills into these young lawyers. But sometimes step one and two are missed. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly. It's funny, you know, it's these practical things that are overlooked, but actually end up being some of the most important things. I suppose if you were to say to graduates, what could you do to get yourself where you have the benefit or, or that you stand out would be getting yourself in a position where you have a summer job or something that gets you mm. some of that practical skill stuff happening for you, whether it's working for a, a community group or something where you're drafting letters or dealing with people, you know, meeting with them face to face and that sort of thing would be really, really valuable. I know there's some community law centers that have internship programs where people can start interviewing real world clients and dealing with their real world issues and writing letters for them and that sort of thing. That kind of volunteer work would be really helpful. Yeah, that's a great piece mm. of advice. 
So you moved from Buttle Finlay, which is a leading national law firm, to provide your services independently. Why did you do that and how did you make that decision? That was an interesting one. I guess for me, and it was an interesting one from everyone else's perspective too, because it's not probably normal for people to have moved out so soon in right. their career. But for me, I had had it modeled to me. That's what you did. My dad had always worked for himself. My sister had worked for herself. My brother had. I guess I had it ingrained in me. That's what you should aim for. I hadn't known it any other way, if you know what I mean. That was one aspect of it. The other aspect was I also, I have this thing in me where I like to make efficiencies and improve things. And I like to use technology to help that along. Some of the things that I saw in a big corporate environment were hard to move the needle on were some of those efficiency gains because you know you've got to have a board decision that can make changes to software or improve a process that's going to get rolled out to the whole firm it's a big deal to make a change like that in a big firm and I understand that I mean you can't just make changes like that overnight you're going to upset people and it's a cost to it as well and so you can't be as nimble I suppose just the way it is and for me that was a little bit frustrating too so the other thing was there were some clients I felt like I wanted to help but I couldn't, you know, I had, to, I had to charge at a certain level. I couldn't just make decisions about what would be charged to those people because really at the end of the day, it's the firm's decision, not mine. I wanted to be able to make those decisions too. So there was a few few decisions around working on my own that seemed like a good idea to give it a go. And at the time, my wife and I had were newly married, we didn't have kids. And I knew that once we did have kids, I think that decision to make the leap would be a little bit harder. And so I thought, okay, now's the time. And you know what? If I fall flat on my face in six months' time, I would go cap in hand back to the firm and say, can you have me back? And I don't think I burned any bridges. I think they were possibly expecting I would come back um, if I did fall. For my fall on my face but it's gone well since they have actually been still supportive they still send work my way in right. that sense so I still am grateful for the relationship I have with the firm and I think for me it, it had worked out that going out on my own has been uh, a good thing for me good for my family life and good because I can make these decisions that I feel like okay I can help this person, I'm not going to charge them X. And also I can make these efficiency gains in the way that I run my, my systems, which means I can be a bit more nimble, that sort of thing. I guess that was the leap of faith. And there's been a few people in the employment law field who have done that at a younger age because it is a more discreet field. You, you know, you have discreet bits of work that you can pick up. It doesn't require massive support to be able to represent someone and might be a fairly smallish matter. And, you know, you drop into their lives for maybe a, a number of weeks and then you drop out again. And that is something that is the kind of work that you are able to pick up because people just need that amount of support. They don't need years and years of support, which is something that perhaps a firm is going to provide you in a better way. So that was kind of why and I guess how it's kind of worked out for me. I can understand that from the other side of the coin. I worked for CCH Walters Kluwer for five years, selling into legal firms and accountancy businesses, both large firms and individuals. I do know that that whole process through the board can take significantly longer <laughs> for the return on investment efficiencies that you can tangibly show, but still wheels don't necessarily move. You and I are both potentially frustrated by the same. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we can talk about legal technology adoption and that sort of thing for a while and hours and yeah. um, why it hasn't perhaps been adopted as quickly as it might have been given even though there are gains to be made it's a curious thing that sounds like another episode yeah just about <laughs> is, i think <laughs> but it is it's an important piece as the technology is catching up mm. how, how that can be served in yeah. a more user-friendly way absolutely yeah yeah 
So disestablishment has hit many over COVID, me included. You contributed to a piece in the NZ Herald back in June 20, which was titled Redundancy, the biggest mistake employees make when jobs on the line. How, if at all, have company actions or your advice changed since then? I think the advice that I would give remains the same, that the key thing there is that employees have to contest the decisions or at least go into bat for themselves. I suppose what I see sometimes is employees shrugging their shoulders and saying, well, this is going to happen. They've made their decision already. You know, it's COVID. So the employer has a good reason why they need to make a change. And I'm just going to roll over and I'll move on. And unfortunately, that I don't think is the right approach. I think that the right approach is to engage and to say, mm. okay, is the fact that COVID has, has hit, is that really a good rationale for why there needs to be a change? And if there does need to be a change, why is it this change and not some other change? And even if mm. there is my role to go, you know, I might be one of three who do that thing. Why am I being singled out? There's a series of questions, and I think I wrote a blog post about it, you know, three questions to ask if faced with redundancy because I wanted people to think through, hey, look, it's not it's not a fait accompli, really. Yeah, there are cases, of course, where employers make up their mind and they're never going to change their mind. And they're entitled to have a view, but they're also obliged to listen to. They're obliged to listen to what you have to say about the situation and to take that on board and see whether or not it changes their mind. And you might have some ideas about the way the business is operating or where costs can be saved or questions around where money might else be saved for if it's a cost-saving type scenario that you're into that they may not have thought of. And unless you bring it to the table, you're not going to be able to have the benefit of perhaps that idea that might change their mind. So I think it's really important that people don't just give up. They do think through why. Why is this a, the right approach for the company to take? And you know, make some good arguments and contest it. Otherwise, employers will simply say, well, you didn't turn up, you didn't give us any ideas, so why would we change our mind? We'll just proceed with what we propose. And they're entitled to do that. And unless you've pitched in and given them something to chew on, they'll just move on with that, which is understandable. So the other thing I think to bear in mind is that moving on from a role isn't necessarily the end of the world. And I've had plenty of clients moved on from roles and been moved on, as you might say, in terms of redundancy. I've seen them in the street later on and they've said, you know what, Mark, it was really bad at the time. It was really terrible. But having looked back on it now, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I remember a guy who was made redundant from a fit-out firm and then I saw him in the street he was fitting out a place down the road here. He said, oh, you won't believe how it's all gone for me. I've got my own firm now. I'm running my own business and I'm loving it. And yeah. you never quite know what's around the corner, do you? Exactly. And that's a theme, I suppose, we should all take from this time of turbulence. There are opportunities to be uncovered. Mm. There is so much that is possible these days with technology, new types of jobs coming online that we've never had before. You can go out there and potentially create roles or find a niche that maybe never existed before. And that's kind of exciting, I think. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but there may be opportunities out there, I suppose, that are yet to be uncovered. And maybe it's okay. And now, a super quick word from our sponsor. A big thanks to the sponsor of this episode, Customized Talent Group, a New Zealand-owned and operated recruitment agency with an innovative, unique, and personalized approach. At Customized Talent, Michael Viner leads a team of nine partners who deliver exceptional service with a model that ensures partners are rewarded for developing long-standing, trusted relationships that have client and candidate best interests at heart. Customized can provide the recruitment partnership you've been searching for, sourcing outstanding talent while providing the high 
highest levels of care and communication to support requirements and business objectives. Check out customizedtalent.com and the show notes for contact details. That's great advice because sometimes when you are in that position or you're giving everything and then you feel like you've lost control by being told no or this is not what you'll be doing anymore you forget that there is opportunity in other places that you've been so busy that you haven't seen it before so mm-hmm. sometimes being able to shut off the noise of something that potentially wasn't the best thing for you does open up those brand new doorways and paths and makes you look a little bit more intently as to what could work better Absolutely, absolutely. I think the other thing that surprised me when I left the law firm Mm -hmm. was to see how many people were out there doing legal work that weren't in a law firm context. And so I I think that's what happens, isn't it? When you're in a job or in a firm, all you can see is sort of work that that firm does, the concerns that that firm has and their clients. And you don't really give too much thought to, if I jump out of here, how big of a world there is still out there that other people have got all these pockets and niches that they're dealing with and helping people in. And so that was a real surprise to me in the sense of when I moved and to see how much work is actually out there that those firms don't even touch. Yeah. And so I suppose that applies across the board to any industry, really. It's just a matter of tapping into that, finding your yeah. niche and yeah, pulling right. down. So how has COVID changed or impacted the type of work you do and how have you adjusted? I mean, a lot of people say to me, oh, you must be really busy with COVID-related matters. And certainly when COVID hit, there was a flurry of activity because we had the wage subsidy come in, people trying to work out, okay, how does that work? How do we apply that to our business? Do we need to make change right now? That kind of thing. And some were just making changes and saying we need to we need to move because they had to. They were really vulnerable industries. So yes, there has been a change in the type of work we've done around that. But since COVID and since it's calmed down, I suppose in terms of the lockdowns and that sort of thing, and come back to somewhat of a, a norm, I would say the key change for everyone has been you know, working from home, that sort of thing, a bit more, and considering yeah. <laughs> how to work best. I personally work from home is been a little bit difficult with young kids, yeah. but I'm sort of thinking about okay, how can I work from home? I've got an office pod that put in the backyard as part of a renovation during a house. And so thinking, okay, how can I make my life more streamlined to work better for the family, also avoid some traffic and yeah. and, um, and still be connected and doing the work that is required of me, which is totally doable now. We all know that it can be done. There's, it's interesting to see how the courts have adopted technology to facilitate hearings. They've been very, they were very ready and willing to do that when COVID hit and to allow people to appear via video. So it'll be interesting to see how much of that carries on. It also has made me realize that there's quite a bit of stuff that I do that is best done face-to-face, you know, like mediations, for example. There's nothing like sitting down across a table, looking someone in the eye and trying to resolve a problem as opposed to doing it over the phone or over Zoom. They have their merit to some extent, but there's that human-to-human interaction that you sort of can't beat. And I think that's probably similar to court hearings. There's something about addressing a judge in the court that you can't quite replicate in the same way in other forums. So I suppose it's made me realise the importance of some of that human-to-human interaction, but then where you can maximise or make use of the remote work type ability that we have now, we've realised that there is a place for that too. And it's trying to find a balance and decide, okay, what's most important for some of these things? What's the best way to do something? And now we have a slew of options. We have some tools in our toolbox Mm. to be able to do that, which is really great. What do you love about your work and what's next 
for you? Mm. Well, I do really enjoy being held helped rather than we just talked about, you know, that satisfaction yeah. you get a kick out of when something's gone well, whether it's for an employer or an employee. To be of service to people in a time of need, yeah, there's something cool about that. You know, I step into people's lives in a moment and then I step out of it again, kind of like we've shared something or we've been able to coach them through or strategize through that little difficult patch. That's pretty cool. A nice feeling, I suppose. And it's not something that a lot of people get to do. I do have a lot of clients who say, yeah, really nice to meet you, Mark, but I hope I never have to deal with you again that kind of thing and i get that as much as it's been a kick for me you know they don't want to have to deal with me again if they can avoid it you know seeing them from when they first come in the door and maybe quite mm. strung out and worried about how things are going to go to the end result and hopefully it's a good one that's really the pleasure you get out of the work that we do yeah as to what's next i'm conscious of a quip that a guy called Mark Andreas in, in the States, he's a, an investor. Ten years ago, he wrote an article called Software is Eating the World. And what that means is that everything is being enhanced and helped by software and by code. And I'm wanting to apply that to my business uh, and using a variety of tools to help bed that in so that my mundane decisions are sort of taken care of or automated by software, yeah. that I'm not having to think about those things. But I'm using my brain power to think about the things that are important to clients, about the strategy, about the legal decisions that have to be made. And that's the better use of my time. So I guess a, a business application, isn't it really? It's not one for lawyers to deal with. It's everyone across the board has to perhaps make use of that opportunity to use software where we can to really then hone in on the stuff that we're made to do yeah. and get real enjoyment out of it. Yeah, that's so true. There are black and white decisions that are absolute and then elements that require the soft skills that we can bring in the understanding and context of mm. each of those different situations. So that makes total sense. What main gaps do you see between employers and employees or candidates? Uh, yeah, for me, the gaps that I see often come up around expectations. And whether that's because employers don't necessarily always specify what their expectations are, and perhaps that's from the outset, from recruitment outset, maybe they sell it in a way that isn't quite what they actually want. And so the candidates ended up with this vision of this is what this job's going to be like, and it hasn't actually turned out that way. Or it's just that it's morphed over time, or it's that they want it done in a particular way, but they never quite say how they want it done. And so what happens often is that employers will sit on that stuff, either because they're too busy, or they don't want the confrontation. And they'll they'll sit on it, sit on it, sit on it, and one day they'll just explode in the sense of, and I'm not saying this happens all the time, of course, the cases that I deal with, often it's the case where something's exploded and the relationship then is one of distrust and either they've gone off their nut at someone that employee didn't even see it coming or they haven't articulated the expectations in such a way that the employee would understand why they're not meeting them. So that misunderstanding about expectations is a really common one. My view is that if an employer is doing their job well, the employee shouldn't be shocked at the end of the day. The employee's decision is, after going through a fair process and having gone through justifiable decision-making around the employee's performance, that at the end of the day, the employee turns around and says, sorry, I'm going to have to let you go because you're not meeting your expectations. The employee should, at the end of that, go, yeah, I can, I can see why you're saying that. And it's a stink, and I'm really sad about that, but I can understand it. That ideally is the acknowledgement that you would hope a fair employer would have from an employee at the end of that process. So that's, the, I guess, the, the goal. <laughs> Um, and what it means is it requires a bit more work on the part of employers to really articulate that stuff. And probably also employees also, let's face it, it's a two-way yeah. street, to put up their hand and say, look, you've asked for this in a certain way and you've said it's not right. Well, 
tell me exactly how do I how do I do it in such a way that you are happy with. And you know, let's face it, employees are going to find that some employers just don't want to give them the time. There's personalities involved, and for whatever reason, they don't get the information around how to do the job well and meet those expectations. And that's where things sort of fall apart. What's a key piece of advice you have for candidates when considering a new role offer? It's not just to think about it in terms of a pay increase. It's perhaps to think about it as how will this allow me to grow? What are the tangential opportunities that might arise out of this job that I wouldn't otherwise have received if I didn't take it? So, you know, there might be people you end up mixing with or networking with that are really interesting people. And they might lead you off into a different direction than this even this job is expecting you to go. That could be really just an exciting sort of prospect. And again, you know, I talk about learning from good people, you know, learning from a range of people because you pick and choose those sorts of things and absorb stuff from people that you work with just by osmosis as you said i suppose if you're going to do that you want to work with people that you're going to admire mm-hmm. and the sort of people you will want to work with and learn from in that way so who are you learning from how do you think it's going to make you grow what sort of opportunities tangentially might arise because you've taken this job obviously remuneration in the day is you've got to put the bread on the table that's obviously yeah. a factor but if you're blessed with more than one option that the rate of pay is going to be somewhat equivalent these other factors are going to be really important And it can be a short-term consideration, you know, in terms of that negotiation. If I prove myself in this time, I've got this offer, we can write this in. So many factors, but it has to be a long-term goal, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. If you had to career change tomorrow, what would you do? Yeah, I'd probably do something in a startup space around legal tech, you know, or business process automation, something around that, dealing with processes and probably dealing with automating some processes in the legal space. There's definitely opportunity out there to make that happen. There's a lot of startups dealing with issues in the legal world. Access to justice is part of that as well. I think I would probably be doing something along those lines. I was at the New Zealand FinTech Hui at the end of last week. And so lots of discussions with regards to open banking, integration, consumer data rights, data versus banks, and those and possibly advantageous relationships depending on how that mix works. And then also moving into that insurance tax space. So I really feel that legal is an element of that. And we had a speaker representing from the perspective around yeah, some of the areas of regulation. Personally, I just think legal is a huge part of that the finance insurance and legal bodies all integrate so very nicely so plenty of opportunities coming up for that potentially mark yeah definitely i agree just finding the time eh? absolutely yeah. yeah how do you think employment law will change in the next decade there's definitely a shift, I think, to recognising rights of dependent contractors, so Uber drivers, that sort of thing. We've had a case come out recently in the employment court that found that an Uber driver was not a employee, but a contractor. And because the argument the Uber driver was making was, like, I'm an employee, effectively, of Uber, because they're telling me what to do every day, effectively, the other mm-hmm. one's paying me, and everyone knows I work for Uber, so why am I not an employee? And there's a legal test around that, but I think there is a growing sense in which people like Uber drivers, those in the gig economy, may not be getting the fairest treatment. You know, they can be dropped at the drop of a hat. Their rates of pay may change without too much negotiation. So I think there's a move to have rights recognised for people like that. And in the UK, there is actually a category of workers that they do recognise as not being employees, but not purely contractors either, that in between they have some basic rights like holidays and rest breaks and that sort of thing that are recognised by way of law. I think we'll probably end up going down a path like that. I think there's going to be enhanced statutory assistance for employees going forward, particularly vulnerable 
employees. We're starting to see some of that increase already. So increased benefits around minimum wage. So getting up to the living wage level where I think it's been mooted that sick leave will increase to 10 days from next year. So you'll have 10 days per year as opposed to five. Uh, we've had family violence leave introduced, which allows people to have 10 days leave off each year if they've been experienced family violence. 26 weeks uh, paid parental leave has been increased to that level from 18, I think it was previously. And we've got a new public holiday coming out, Mataliki, which will be introduced from next year from what I hear. There's all these enhanced benefits we're, we're experiencing around ensuring employees have those basic protections and in, in an enhanced way. Also around restraints of trade, we may well see those curve from an recruitment perspective that's of interest because having people move easily between jobs is something that comes up quite often. I believe what we might end up seeing is some curbing of the ability to restrain people unless you pay them. So in Europe, it's quite common for restraints of trade to only be enforced if the employer pays some or at least part of their pay for the period for which they're restrained. So that could be something to watch as well. So I think it is, it is a trend to recognising more worker rights and freedom of work and I think we'll just be carrying along in, in that vein. Yeah, and there's a lot there, I think, also leveraging towards well-being in general. Yes. There's a push of work-life balance has been shifted since people now have so much work from home and they find it very difficult to create those boundaries. Mm. Yeah, really interesting pieces to keep an eye out for. Mm. So to round off, is there anything else you'd like to share? Any last words or stories to leave us with, Mark? Yeah, well, I think just coming back to that idea of opportunity and what's available in terms of legal or technology in general, uh, for me, you know, I think about it in the legal space. You know, it's amazing what is possible, you know, podcasts or blogging or Twitter feeds, you know, like the amount of communication we can have out there. I did do a blog and I still have it up there, obviously, on my website where I blog for a year and a half, pretty much straight weekly for a year and a half. I haven't been doing as much recently. I'd like to do more. But what that did in terms of presenting opportunities for me by simply getting my thinking out there and engaging with mm. people, you know, I had lawyers ring me up and say, oh, you know, you wrote that blog about so and such and such. And, you know, we start off a conversation and... And employees or employers who contact me asking me about a question I've written about. So the opportunity is there. If you want to publish your thinking and have it out there or your interactions and engage with others, there's so much possibility around that. You know, and I applaud you for what you're doing with this podcast is exactly that. Reaching out yeah. to people, getting their thoughts, interacting with them. And I just think there's a lot we can do to further that. The opportunity is there and it's a great way to further the likelihood of serendipitous connection and what comes from that. So I think, why not go for it? amazing. I think you're absolutely right. Connection, particularly here in New Zealand, we have opportunities that so many in the world don't to connect across the wide range of people and specialists. But for me, this is also about finding your tribe and letting people know what you stand for. And, and that's exactly what your blog would have done as well. So you'll have a lovely blog entry, you know, with the link to this podcast that can share a little bit more of that for you. Absolutely. Perfect. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for your time. It was an absolute pleasure spending time with Mark with such valuable takeaways for both employers and employees alike. This isn't the last you'll hear from Mark. There are a few questions I've saved for an upcoming compilation episode. But if you can't wait and want to hear them now, head on over to my YouTube channel and check out the RRC podcast behind the scenes playlist for the extended video version. To connect with Mark, check out markdonovan.co.nz and show notes for links and helpful details. Okay. 
if you liked this episode of Rosie on Recruitment, please subscribe, review, share with your networks on your favorite social channels and tag me at Rosie Her Career. That's R-O-S-E-Y. I'd love to hear from you with any comments or questions to discuss how I can help you find the best human talent for your organization or to place you in your next dream role. Until next time, remember, be calmer, be kind, be better. Thank you.